0: We stand at the end of 2013 and right on the beginning of 2014. And so this morning I want to talk to us for a few moments about new year, new beginnings. And I want to use this story that we find in Exodus chapter 12 to give us the framework for discussing this. Let's just say a quick word of prayer before we start. Father God, this is your time. This is your moment, this is your message. These are your people. I pray that you would speak through me to each of us in Jesus name. Amen. You know the the children of Israel had been in slavery for 430 years. Now as someone from the African diaspora, it's easy for me to resonate with the idea of slavery. My people, my ancestors, I'm from the Caribbean, my mum is from Jamaica, my dad is from Barbados, but they did not originate there. They, we were taken there as a people um, hundreds of years ago now. But as I was reading this week, I discovered that there is a danger in, in making comparison between the two kinds of slavery, although it's easy to do, it's in fact, it's an obvious thing to do. But actually, Egyptian slavery was quite different from the modern example that we have seen. You see, in Egyptian slavery, these people had houses, they had homes, they had cattle, they had their own property. Um, they, they, they lived in an area of the country. And so, in a sense, the Egyptian slavery was a little bit more subtle. And so, for 430 years, God's people lived in Egypt. And at the time of the Exodus, there was no one alive who remembered what it was like to be free. In other words, they had come to accept Life as it is, as normal. They saw themselves not so much as slaves perhaps, but more maybe as just disenfranchised just at the bottom of the social ladder. And yes, they hoped for greater uh, wealth, maybe they hoped for, 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 for a better life, but it did not seem to them, until they started to ask for freedom, they did not realize how much slavery they were really in. And so, you know the story, along comes Moses, and he starts filling the people's minds with this idea that they can be free, that they can take their cattle and their children and their wives and their husbands, and that they can leave, and that they can go to their own land, and that they can worship God in their own way. And people start to believe this idea, and they start to get excited about this idea, and they start to think, well, you know what? It would be nice not to have to work in the building site all the time. It would be nice to do something different. And so they begin to follow Moses They follow Moses, and as Moses goes to Pharaoh and asks Pharaoh to let the people go, (coughs) Pharaoh makes their conditions worse. You know the story. So then he asks them to make bricks, but he doesn't give them the materials anymore. So now their life has become harder, and they start to ask themselves the question do we really want to be free? Well, God sends the plagues. If, you're not, if you don't know the story, uh, maybe you can do some light reading. We're still in the holiday season. Maybe read from the beginning of Exodus. It's a fascinating story. Exodus 1, 2, 3. Fascinating story. They get to the point where Pharaoh has categorically refused to set the people free. Now the crazy thing as I was reading this story again this week, the thing that kept coming to my mind is why is God having a conversation with Pharaoh. I was struck by how silly that seems. You are the God of the universe. You don't need Pharaoh to let the people go you can just make them you can click your fingers and they can disappear they were in Egypt and now they're in Canaan right? you can do that we know he can do that because in the New Testament you remember what happened with Philip he was there on the road he was talking to someone and the next thing you know he was way down the road God doesn't need Pharaoh to let the people go if not, God could send the armies. How many times have we read in, in the stories of, of the kings where the nations were against Israel and in one day God fought the armies and killed the armies and that was it. But God is here having this conversation with this leader. And I was struggling to understand why. And then I realized it. You know, God wanted Pharaoh not just to let the people go, but he wanted Pharaoh to admit that he was God. And so I realized that sometimes in our deliverance, God's primary goal is not just to set us free, but he's trying to get people around us in our situation to be able to recognize that he in fact is God. And so they go through the plagues, but Pharaoh hardens his heart. And then finally God plays his terrible last card. He tells Moses, I'm going to come personally. You know, I used to think it was an angel of death that he sent. But as I read the text, I realized that God himself said, I'm going to come over the land. And I am going to kill the firstborn of everyone, from Pharaoh right down to the maid. And we maybe struggle with this at the end of 2013 as we read this story and it seems so very violent, so very harsh. What kind of a God is this that's going to kill people's firstborn? That just seems wrong. But then the story continues in in, in, in Exodus 12. And God gives gives to Moses the other side of the coin. That there is a way of escape from this terrible judgment. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 it says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the 10th of this month, They are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. (coughs) Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall... Eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over till morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now, you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on your houses where you live and when I see the blood I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This event was so monumental that God decided to change the calendar from that time. God said that This event of my rescuing you, my freeing you, my delivering you from slavery is so important that from now on, I want you to count this as the first year of the rest of your life. And so this became the new year for the people of God. Now, we know that this is... In our calendar would represent sometime in the spring, March or April similar time to when we celebrate Easter and we know that we're not at that time but I thought it would be instructive for us as we enter a new year to think about what requirements it took for the people of Israel to go into that new year and to see if we can't learn some lessons from them the title of this message is Rosh Chodesh, which means head of the month or first month, I don't know if this is a The light is just against us, so you'll just have to, I'll just email you the slides. All right, here's the thing. First point. The new year starts with the promise of God's deliverance. Let me say it again. The new year starts with the promise of God's deliverance. Now, this is the thing that blew my mind as I read this. It seems to me that if I was God, I would make the day when I delivered you, make that day one. Right, The day when I actually take you out of bondage, out of slavery, let the year start then. But no, God asked them to start the year 14 days before then. Before he had done everything, anything, before any of them were free, before anything had changed, he promised them deliverance and he wanted them to start a new year with not so much the fact of his deliverance, but with the promise, with the hope of his deliverance. And so beloved, what I want to say to us today is that in this new year, in 2014, there is the promise, there is the hope of God's deliverance in your life. Some of us have been in bondage in 2013. You look at me like I'm not in bondage, I'm I'm a slave to no one, but let me ask you, are there any addictions in your life that you find control you more than you control them? Do you find yourself unable to keep your temper when certain people press certain buttons? Are you a slave uh, to, to money? Are you so consumed by creating wealth that it's the only thing you can think of and you put your health at risk just to earn a few more pounds? Are you a slave to relationships? Are you in a relationship that's unhealthy, whether it be a romantic one or even in your family? And you can't live free for worrying about what that person will say or think or do. And they keep you almost at ransom. We all are slaves in one way or another. Some of us this year have been slaves to sickness. Some of us have got, have got ill. Some of us right now are wrestling with some things in our body, some diagnosis from the doctor that we don't want to share with anyone because it's, so, it's, it's almost like a, if it's not a death sentence, it's a life sentence. In other words, we'll never get better, so they say and so we come to the end of this year and as we look into 2014 beloved what you need to know is that God is promising you deliverance even though you might not see it now you have to enter the new year believing that deliverance is on the way deliverance is coming and the Bible promises us, we've read these verses many times, and I know the screen is against us, but in Revelation 3 verse 13, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Do we still believe this, brothers and sisters? Or have we got so far from the great disappointment that now we just don't even know if he's coming back? What if 2014 is the year? He promises, I will come soon. Revelation verse 22 verse 7 says, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. It's as if he wants us to keep remembering, I'm promising you deliverance. I'm promising you to come soon. And in verse 12 of the same chapter, he says, Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Jesus has promised us not only deliverance in our situation but ultimate deliverance from this world because beloved here's the crazy thing you can never be free if you're still living in Egypt. Oh you may have a house, you may have some cattle, they may even promote you to be, you know, the foreman over the but you're still a slave. You're still working for the Egyptian system. And so God has to take us completely out. And so yes, while we see his miracles, yes, while he answers our prayers, the ultimate deliverance will only happen when Jesus comes again. And so we start the new year with the promise, the promise of God's deliverance. But there's another point. The new year starts... With an opportunity to cooperate with God's deliverance this is this is the amazing thing about this story for me God promises to deliver them but then he gives them some things to do in order to be ready for that deliverance and the reason why I find this amazing is because if you listen to how we as Christians talk today and I perhaps can be guilty of it too We almost give the impression that all you have to do is just believe and accept that Jesus loves you and that He died for you and that He wants to forgive your sins. Just believe it in your heart. Just confess it with your mouth and everything else is fine. Doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter whether you overcome, doesn't matter whether you're growing in your relationship with God, just as long as you believe. But here's the thing. You could believe that, 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 the, that God was going to rescue you from Egypt, but if you didn't get yourself a lamb, if you didn't kill the lamb, if you didn't put the blood on your door, if you didn't roast it, if you didn't put your clothes, if you didn't do some of those things, then doesn't matter how much you believed, doesn't matter how much you said amen when Moses was telling the good news, you would have found yourself left in Egypt. And so, beloved, what I'm realizing is that this new year, God is giving us the opportunity to cooperate with his deliverance. Now, now let's get, it, let's get it straight. Let's not get it twisted. We know that killing a lamb and putting blood on the door does not cure us from any kind of death. Ultimately, we know the deliverance was God's miracle. But yet, he asks us to play a part. Our faith in God has to leave our head and come out of our hands and our feet. It has to live and breathe. We have to see it in life. In other words, 2014, it will not be a good enough just to come and sit here and listen to me and go home. God's giving you an opportunity to cooperate with his deliverance. The Bible says that if they didn't have, if their family was too small, and they couldn't eat the lamb by themselves, they ought to go to the neighbor and invite the neighbor over and say, hey, let's share the lamb together. In 2014, God is calling some of us to go to our neighbors and share with them some of what God has been giving us. One of my favorite authors in the book, Desire of Ages, makes this, for me, uh, paradigm-shifting, life-changing statement. She says, God could have reached his object in saving sinners without our aid. In other words, God could do the job himself. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. You think that Jesus can't preach a better sermon than I can? He doesn't need us. But watch this. But in order for us To develop a character like Christ's, we must share in his work. Why is God inviting you to cooperate with his deliverance? Not because he needs your help, but because he wants to give you the opportunity to develop a character like his. She continues, in order to enter into his joy, the joy of seeing souls redeemed by his sacrifice, we must participate in his labors for their redemption. You know, they say, if you're planning to get married to someone, you should share some shared interest. You should have some hobbies. Now, let me tell you a story. You don't know this, but I could have been Andy Murray. I know, I know. You're, you're thinking, but past it. You do not look like you could run around the court. Don't not be deceived by my size. But listen, my, my wife and I, we, we enjoy playing tennis. When we, were, when we were studying in the States, we used to play tennis together. Before we had children. How many of you married people you remember before the children? Anyone else remember before the children? Wasn't that amazing? What a brilliant idea that was. It's a brilliant idea. Marriage is a brilliant idea. Children are a blessing from the Lord. But marriage is a brilliant idea. Okay? Some of you, your children are grown up and gone, and you are praising the Lord every day. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, for, for the rest of us, we, 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 we love you children. We wouldn't be without you. But anyway, before we had kids, when we could just get up at any time in the morning and decide, let's go play tennis. So we used to go play tennis, and we used to play together. And you know, my wife's quite good, you know? And we used to enjoy it. But we haven't played for years now. We haven't played for at least two years. Did I tell you that my oldest daughter is two years old? We haven't played for at least two years. But this, this holiday season, we went down to Cornwall with the rest of my family, and we were at this uh, uh, sort of place, and there was a tennis course nearby. And, you know, we were there with the aunties and uncles. Thank God for aunties and uncles who can watch the kids for a moment. So we were, had them watching the kids, and we went to play tennis. And you know what? We still had it. We still, you know, you know, now, you, know you think we're not Andy Murray and Serena Williams, but we you know we still had it. We enjoyed ourselves. And here's the point. We have a shared interest. We are both interested in in playing tennis. It's one of the many things that binds us together. Here's the point. If you're in a relationship with someone and everything they like, you hate, and everything you like, they hate, you're going to have a very difficult relationship I, was, I didn't mean to talk about this, but let me help someone right now in a marriage. If your marriage is getting a bit, you know, try to find some things. Remind yourself of the things that she used to enjoy, you know, whatever it was. Find, and if you can't think of anything, because it was the 70s and they don't do that no more, we'll find some new ones. <laughs> make some new, make some new hobbies. Do something together, right? Shed interests. Here's what she's saying: If you're going to spend eternity with Jesus, how's that going to work? If the thing that he enjoys the most, you don't like. And she says, if we're going to enter into the joy, what is the joy of the Lord? The thing that gets Jesus excited is seeing people saved by his sacrifice. When he sees people who were lost and alone and hopeless, without faith, without anything, and they start to to believe and they start to change, oh, that gets him really excited. And so she says, and she's just saying what the Bible is saying, we need to start learning to be excited about that now. So in 2014, God's going to call you to be involved in his deliverance. And the amazing thing is, as I work for the salvation of my friend, in the process, my own salvation is made more sure. And so in the new year, we have the opportunity to cooperate with God's deliverance. Um, but finally, in the new year, there is an opportunity for a new experience with God's deliverer. In the new year, there is a new opportunity for an experience with God's deliverer. Here's the amazing thing about this. So they get this lamb, and they cut the lamb's throat... And they put the blood on their doorposts and on their lintel. And as I was trying to understand, what is the word lintel? I don't know, in whatever language you read the Bible growing up. I read the King James Version. They used to talk about the lintel. What's a lintel? I don't know. I did a little digging. I realized the lintel was a small window that they used to have over the door so that you could see out to see who was knocking at the door. Right? Today we have those tiny spy holes. Do you have that in your door? Have you been there? The door, you open the door and you're like, who is it? And the person's face is all like round and moony and, and they're looking in too. So you're looking at their eye and they're like, back in the day they had a, a small window and that's what they call the lintel. Here's the amazing thing. They were supposed to put the blood over the lintel. In other words, in the new year, you're supposed to see through the blood of Jesus. Everything from the outside ought to look different now because the blood of Jesus is over the lintel. The blood is on the doorpost. That means things that come out of the house and into the house must walk through the blood of Jesus. That means for some of us this new year, there are some people who we need to pray for. We need to invite them to to, to church and Bible study. But we might not need to be hanging out with them anymore. If they can't come into our lives through the blood of Jesus, then maybe they shouldn't be coming in at all. Do you understand what I'm saying? If if what they are leading you to do is so at odds with the God's sacrifice for you, then maybe if we have the blood over the house, we can't, you know, the only people who come in here are people who come in under the blood. So maybe there are some phone numbers, young men, young ladies, that you need to block. You know, you, you, know, you just need to say, I'm going to pray for you, but I might not date you. Is that okay? Can we do this? Is it, is, is it okay to pray for people that we can't actually have intimate relationships for? There might be some job offers that you have to say, mm, it's, it's tempting, but I'm not sure this job can fit in the door through the blood of Jesus. I'm not sure this job can come in through Jesus. I'm not sure. In the new year, we see things differently. But this is the next thing. After that, they come, they burn this lamb, they roast this lamb, and they eat the lamb. So the lamb's blood is on the door. But now they're eating the lamb. Not only that, they're eating the lamb with flat, unleavened bread. Jesus says in the Gospels, John says of Jesus, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, Jesus is the true Lamb. Jesus also said about himself, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So watch this, they're eating Jesus wrapped in Jesus. Now let me help you to understand this. Uh, This is going to help some Adventists. Some of us, if we're just honest, as Adventist Christians, we love meat. Even though we're supposed to be vegetarian. (laughs) But we love the meat of the Bible. Oh, you can't do anything to get the blood pumping of some Adventists than have a good Bible study debate. Oh, that makes us excited. We just spent a whole quarter studying the sanctuary. It's meat. Some of us love that sort of thing. But here's the thing. You have to eat the meat wrapped in the bread. What is the bread? The bread is the simple story about the life of Jesus. Here's the point I'm trying to make. In 2014, we have to learn how how all of the things we believe from this book make sense in Jesus. Let me help someone, you're looking like you don't know understand. Listen, there's no point in keeping a Sabbath if you don't understand what that says about Jesus. No point. You cannot watch all the TV and not do all the work you want. If that's not wrapped in Jesus, it's pointless. There's no point in, in thinking that you understand all the prophecies and which president and which religious leader is doing what not, but you don't understand what that has to say about Jesus. It has to be wrapped in Jesus. And if you have too much meat to fit in your sandwich, then take some of the meat out and have more Jesus. But there was one other element. They had to put bitter herbs in this wrap that they were eating. The meat, the bread with bitter herbs. Beloved, in 2014, we need to learn how to fit the bitter experiences of our life into our faith, into our understanding of Jesus. Here's what troubles me about many of us. We seem to have two brains. We have the church brain and we have the normal brain. And so sometimes I find myself even and others of us saying things that to me don't make sense. Like when people have suffered real pain and loss, we say things like, well, you know... God knows what's best. Now, now I understand what we're meaning, but really? When I've just lost the most important person to me, well, God knows what's best. Sometimes we can come across as callous when, when we look at the things that are happening in the world, like in Syria, and rather than thinking, oh my goodness, those poor people, we think, well, signs of the times. And the reason we do this, beloved, I believe, is because we, we, we have a hard time putting our bitterness into our faith. In other words, we think that if we really have faith, if we really know the truth, then everything should be happy all the time. Sunny, 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 happy, happy, happy. No you know, jazz hands all the time. everything just good. And so we, we, we almost don't admit to struggling. But in 2014, we're going to learn, have to learn how to eat the meat, yes, wrapped in the bread, yes, but also with the bitterness of our experiences we're going to have to learn how to struggle with God. How to go through times when we don't really feel like praying, but know that that's okay because we're still in Jesus. We're going to have to learn how to pick the bitterness of disappointments from our childhood. Some of us are living as if we started living at 21 and we forget all the years when we were disappointed as children. We have to learn to deal with some of that stuff. Some of that stuff is the reason why we struggle with our own relationships. Because there are hurts and pains from our childhood. Bitternesses that we've never quite chewed and digested. But God is calling us not just to eat the word. Not just to eat the bread of life. But also to mingle that with our own pain. To apply it to our own experience and our own life. So finally, and I'm closing on this. After this experience, after they experienced God, and as you can see, all the parts of this Passover are really about Jesus. Because he is the dog, he is the lamb, he is the bread. The last instruction was, when you start the new year, clean out all the old yeast. That's why it was unleavened bread. They had to throw away the old bread. Now let me help you real quick as we close. In those days, if you wanted to eat bread with yeast, it wasn't like today. You couldn't go to <coughs> me, Tesco's or Asda and just get those lovely packets of instant yeast. It didn't happen. Yeast lives in the environment. It's a fungus. It's everywhere. It's, it's, it's just in the air. And so what you had to do is that you had to start a culture. Some of you who might be interested in baking might know about this. And so what you do is that you get some flour, you got some water, and you used to mix it. Sometimes you could mix it, say, with grapes, because often on the skin of grapes, they have these yeasts. Or sometimes you just leave it open in the atmosphere, and you wait for bubbles to start forming in the water. And when the bubbles start forming, you know that there's some yeast in there. And so you would add some more flour to feed it, and you'd add some more flour. And in about a week, you would have what they call a live culture. What you then do, if you want to make some bread, is you take this, this, this sort of dough that has yeast in it, and you mix it with flour, and you make your bread, as in the usual way. And it rises, but you take off a section, and you keep it back so that you can make bread next week, or next day, whatever, that has yeast in it, and then you bake the bread and you eat it. But then you have this old, this, this old lump or this old piece of dough, and you feed it again, and the cycle continues. So, for the year, you would be eating the same yeast, really, that you first found over and over again. Every loaf you make, you keep back some, and you use it for the next loaf. So every loaf you make, you keep back some. And this is what God says I want you to throw out the old yeast. In other words, I want you to start this, new, this year with a new culture, a new yeast. A new, in other words you're going to have to capture it again from the environment here's the point last year's experiences are not good enough to take you through this year both positive and negative in the bible it is used to describe both sin and also the principle of God's kingdom your failures of last year thank God don't have to follow you into 2014 is anyone glad about that? your sins of last year don't have to dog you in this new year the new year is a new year with new yeast but watch this your successes with God don't give you any extra credit for this year either doesn't matter how much you read the Bible I I get disturbed when I speak to people and they say oh you know I used to I used to study prophecy a lot I know a lot about these things really you used to Beloved, I I don't care how great a pathfinder you were 15 years ago. You need a fresh experience today. And So in 2014, God is challenging us to leave behind our failures and to get a new experience with him. So my appeal is this. Are you willing to start this new year believing in the promise of God's deliverance? Are you willing to start this new year committed to cooperating with God's deliverance? And are you willing to start this new year experiencing Jesus who is the deliverer in a fresh and a new and a meaningful way?